0: Alright, it's the 37 Years Podcast, and uh, it is Saturday afternoon, late afternoon after the Ohio State game, and it's Mike Dubin here with Matt Dubin. How you doing, Matt? I'm
1: good, I'm good. Yeah, happy to talk about a bunch of topics today and, and get right into it.
0: Yeah, so listen, let's start. There's a lot of many more topics than I thought we'd have. Let's start, though, with the big topic, which is obviously the Jets. The Jets. Sunday Night Football, Kansas City, all of the celebrities there. Taylor Swift, Blake Lively, uh, Paul Rudd, many, many others. It was the hottest ticket, the highest rated game for NBC since the Super Bowl. Jets down 17-0. And all of a sudden, we thought this was going to be a long evening. And then something unbelievable happened and made a lot of us eat crow. Zach Wilson played the game of his life and the Jets went toe-to-toe with the world champs and almost won the game. Matt, initial thoughts on Sunday Night Football and then we'll get into a few subtopics.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I honestly think the the primetime matchup for the Jets obviously versus the Chiefs, the Kings, the AFC and and frankly the NFL. I, I thought it was a great game for the Jets and obviously there's there's no solace in a moral victories, but Zach Wilson played, played his heart out. The, the defense made some critical stops. And unfortunately I think ultimately it came down to the, to the refs and some of these missed calls and, and bad calls, frankly, that that cost the jets the game. But I think there's a lot of positive momentum heading into the next game and you really can't expect uh, more from a team than what they did uh, that Sunday night.
0: Yeah, there's there's no, like, as I heard a Greeny say on TV this week, there's no moral victories, but there is. And that's sort of how I look at it, too. I think that this is one, this is a game that they can build on, starting with Zach Wilson. After the first quarter, and I give the coaches a lot of credit on the offensive side, They set up plays for him to succeed. He got rid of the ball quickly. He found 10 different receivers. They played guys like Ruckert in the game. They played uh, Xavier Gibson in the game. They changed the attack. They seemed like for the Dallas game and the New England game, they were still using Aaron Rodgers' offense with no motion and anything else. There was play action. There was creativity in the offense. Uh, Kudos to uh, Nathaniel Hackett. And I think just, Matt, your thoughts on what Zach Wilson did to prove us all wrong last week, and do you think he can build on it?
1: Yeah, and this is something we previously discussed that in in our own conversations, but the, the key distinction I want to make in the play calling is that at first, you were right. they were There was a lot of adjustments. There was a lot of him reading the defense, and I think ultimately with Zach Wilson, it led to that overthinking, and it led to bad decisions, and it led to the lack of confidence. They started to figure out that, if we can scheme up our playmakers, let them kind of dictate some of the offense and let Zach lean into his strengths, which is that arm strength, arm talent, and, you know, just being a great dynamic athlete, then we can win some games and and really improve our offense. And I think that's the key distinction that Nathaniel Hackett and the rest of the Jets coaching staff did, because ultimately, a lot of it was on him to make it all work. And I think they figured out that they kind of have to Rely on some scheme and some other playmakers to make things work.
0: Yeah, I I, I think it's interesting. I think that it was primarily a passing attack. Um, they they did you know, and and it looked like in each of these times that Zach dropped back, he had one read. So he was looking, you know, for Conklin, or he was looking for Ruckert or Garrett Wilson, or and Lazard made a few nice catches. Um, he was throwing back shoulder. What it wasn't was what they were doing in the Dallas and New England game, which was, you know, multiple receivers out and, you know, choice of six, which is sort of what an Aaron Rodgers offense w- was doing. Now, what they didn't do was really get much of a running attack going. Um, And I know that Kansas City was stuffing the run in the beginning game, but Brees Hall, I think, only got six carries. And once again, Dalvin Cook looked like um, he's still either getting in shape or not in shape or not able to play anymore. So I do think, Matt, that the running attack is something that they're going to have to get going.
1: Yeah, and especially in the NFL, it's like one of those things that, especially in short yardage situations and just – Getting getting the the defense to kind of stack the box so you can throw the ball. You need you need guys who can get four or five yards consistently. I think the Jets' run game has been pretty anemic, and you could say it's scheme, but I think a lot of the times it's the the run blocking hasn't been superb, and I think the running backs just haven't been super shifting for most of the time.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right, and I think that when we talk about the Denver game in a second, that I think we'll we'll get more of a feel for that. Now I want to go back to Zach Wilson again because. I think a critical thing will be to see if he can, um, you know, maintain this level of play. You know, certainly if he can exceed it, that's great. And it seems like to me, this seems like a story right out of Ted Lasso with with Robert Sala, as I thought about this a little bit, being a bit of a, a Ted Lasso type character with with the intense positivity has been telling us Zach can play when we didn't think he could. And to see Zach, I learned a lot last week in the postgame show uh, on SNY. When Zach came out and talked to the media, it was like a different person. Um, and he took responsibility, obviously, for his fumble at the end of the game. But it just seemed like this was sort of like one of those Ted Lasso evolutions between Salah's positivity and then um, Zach's uh, sort of maturing as a player.
1: Yeah, and, and I think there's going to be something telling about this Denver game. I think it goes one of two ways. The first may be that it's kind of the same Zach Wilson inconsistency that we've been acclimated to kind of seeing and that he's kind of just an up and down player. And then the second of which I think is the, you know, the ability for Zach Wilson to come out and really make a, you know, because I think he should have been sitting for three years before really stepping onto the field, if we're being honest, or really making that kind of third year jump. So it's going to be one of those two outcomes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I look at this Denver game as one is a game that they must win uh, to maintain. Cause if you, you, now I saw an interesting stat, the jets had like the hardest schedule in the league for the first four games and have the 14th hardest schedule for the rest of the year and if you just look at the next sequence of games if they can beat denver they play philadelphia um at home and then they have a bye so if they beat denver then the philly game well they won't be favored it'll be sort of a house money game that hopefully they could win but if they don't they don't then they have the giants chargers and raiders and they should be able to win at least two of those games so And then the schedule gets progressively easier with the exception of like the game in Buffalo and the game in Miami. Um, So all of a sudden, if you map it out, if they can win tomorrow, if they can show the progress, you can be looking at like a, a 10 win type season, which puts them in the playoff mix. So I think what the biggest thing I see for the Jets is with the game in Denver tomorrow is one come out and, Don't give up points in the beginning of the game. Don't get behind. Denver is nothing like Kansas City. And the defense has been a little leaky in these last few weeks where uh, they sort of play loose in the beginning and then tight in the end. Matt, your thoughts on Denver and what they need to do?
1: Yeah, this this doesn't feel like the Denver of years past where they had a really robust defense. And offense aside, I think, you know, Russell Wilson and whatever is going on there, but it, like they gave up 70 points to Miami and, and that's like obviously a fluky scenario, but this is a very beatable defense. There's no game wreckers. I don't really, I think the Jets should have no problem scoring. And if they do have problem scoring, I think that's an issue in itself. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to go there and establish what they want to do tomorrow.
0: Yeah. I think what they're going to try and do is I think you're going to see a little more running game tomorrow. I think you're going to see Brees hopefully get at least 20 carries Um, you know, and then if Michael Carter and Michael Carter has been solid sort of on his third down back and blocking, I think Zach, there should just sort of try and do the same thing, get him some controlled throws. I think if uh, he needs to build on the Kansas City game, I think that could be the step we need. And if they win the Denver game, They really set up the rest of the schedule pretty well. And I think, you know, Philadelphia will probably beat the Rams tomorrow and come into the jet, into the Met life next week undefeated, uh, which would set up another really exciting game for the Jets. And, you know, Philadelphia hasn't been playing great either. So that's like a whole other story. But I think the keys are Zach doing what he did last week, the defense not letting up lots of points in the beginning of the game and getting the running game going early and often with Brees Hall leading the way. Um, The line seems to be coming together. And I think the, uh, you know, Denver almost lost to Chicago last week. Sean Payton looks like this year's Urban Meyer sort of out of place uh, as a coach. I'm not impressed with Denver at all. So I'm, you know, and I don't understand why Denver's a two and a half point favorite. In this game, if if I were a betting man, I would certainly put something on the Jets um, in this situation. So, Matt, what are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, kind of just final like closing thoughts on the Jets situation and kind of their um, you know game tomorrow. They need a win tomorrow. I, I think it's that simple. I think you can't you can kind of chop it up a bunch of different ways. You could say, oh, even if Zach does this, you got to just get the win tomorrow. Zach has to show some steps forward. And if you don't, you kind of have to reevaluate things because the schedule, like you said, there is that kind of that tough little path there and you don't want to throw the season away. Second thing that I want to note for tomorrow as well, I think the edge pressure and the sacks need to increase. And that just doesn't mean like, oh, you know, like just manufacture pressure, but I think they need to start getting to the quarterback and hopefully they get a lot of push up front because you paid Quentin Williams a bunch of money. You paid some of these other guys a bunch of money. They need to start, you know, getting getting in there and, and doing it.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I think in the Kansas City game, in the beginning, in the first quarter, and maybe the first quarter and a half, they were very cautious. They didn't yeah. want to get beat by Travis Kelsey in the big plays. And then all of a sudden, if you notice in the second half, Bryce Huff, Huff really turned it up. And yeah. even though he didn't get sacks, he got pressures. And I think with Denver, I think they, they can't come out cautious at all. So – I agree with that, Matt. So my prediction for the game tomorrow is the Jets win 28 to 10. That kind of score. I think the defense is going to play better. I think Zach is going to be uh, as good as he was the other day, you know, and I think they're going to get the running game going. Matt, your prediction for the Denver game?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be closer than people think, but I think the Jets pull it out. I'll say 28, 21.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're on the record for that. So, jets were excited about for tomorrow but uh, there was other news that happened um this week some of it unexpected so let's talk about the mets the mets uh ended the very disappointing season i didn't think we'd be talking about the mets but there was a sequence of events that sort of led to uh, a few things uh they hired david stern to be their sterns to be their um president not to be confused with john sterns um He's going to take over, and he's, he's run Milwaukee, and he seems like he's sort of the right man. And right before that happened on the last Sunday of the season, they, they let Buck go, which is not unexpected. So let's just stop there before we talk about Epler and the other stuff. Matt, what is your thoughts about Buck uh, being let go, which I am fine with?
1: Yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, Buck did all he could. I think, obviously, there was some up and down with him, and I think they needed a fresh start with a new manager. So I think that's fine. Uh, yeah, and Stern's taken over. Exciting kind of new new brass that's going to be in there. So not much for me in terms of like, oh, this is groundbreaking. But I think the Mets need needed fresh faces in there.
0: Right, and I and I and I don't think Buck would be the guy to manage them moving forward and and whatever. So I think he did a great job in 2022. This year, not so much. Um, so I think they needed a full uh, new look. Now, the unexpected news was that. <laughs> Billy Epler was let, well, said he resigned, but I'm sure he was let go um, because Stearns wanted a fresh start. But it was an interesting report that came out in the middle of the week, and perhaps Buck put this out there, that Epler was making Buck play Daniel Vogelback, which I find kind of funny, but um, it kind of makes some sense uh, because Epler had made some good moves, but he made a lot of bad moves with, like, Darren Ruff and Vogelback and um some of the other older guys. Uh so any thoughts on Epler and sort of where the nets are going here?
1: Yeah, and there's kind of that mismanagement of the IR too and yeah, forcing Buck to play some guys. I mean, in that case, it's like I think you need a fresh, fresh guy to be in there and they'll find someone, I think, to uh replace him. I it didn't seem like good vibes from Epler at all. So I'm happy he's gone.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. He doesn't really belong anymore. And it'll be interesting to see who br- they bring in. If, you know, I think the the odds on favorite for manager would be Craig Council, who's had a bunch of success in Milwaukee, worked with David Stearns. Um, you know, the the other big news for the Mets is that Pete Alonzo hired Scott Boris as his agent and. You know, what does that mean? It can mean anything. It can mean he could be looking to, you know, be a free agent after this year. But it also could be like he could be like Brandon Nimmo and resign with the Mets. So my view, Matt, and I'd be curious to hear yours, is that the Mets need to resign Pete Alonso and he needs to be a cornerstone, regardless of what other players come in moving forward. Yeah.
1: And, and honestly, I think Pete's the heart and soul of the Mets. And he takes on a similar light to me as David Wright. He's homegrown talent. Uh, and the, from the farm system, not like from New York necessarily, but from the farm system, he's a guy that's been very with the Mets through like all the ups and downs they've experienced over the last couple of years. And you can't just let guys like that walk. I think the Mets, you have an owner who's willing to spend money. It's not like a salary cap situation where you kind of need to make ends work. Um, I think they keep him. The fans love him. He's very, he, you know, his game has had some ups and downs, but, but like, to be honest, Pete Alonzo is the heart and soul of the New York Mets. They need to keep him around.
0: Yeah, I agree. So uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do over the next few weeks. Now, the other sh- story that's happened in the last few weeks is the Knicks. And really, the story there is that without getting into all the details, Dame goes to Milwaukee. Holiday ends up on Boston. There's a few other pieces moving. But the Knicks stand pat. And Matt, your thoughts on the Knicks. Not making a move for either Dame or Holiday, uh, which was sort of a secondary move.
1: Yeah, the Knicks have been a little frustrating, I think, with the lack of like groundbreaking moves because I think you have a good team now, and you saw it in the playoffs last year that you were kind of you were closer than you've been in in decades, maybe for the Knicks. And I think they kind of just stood there and watched people go by. And yeah, maybe giving up the house for Damian Lillard doesn't make as much sense. Holiday would have been a precarious fit, but at the same time, it's like the Knicks are very close. This is the first time I could say where the Knicks are like in the mix in a long time, and I think they didn't really do much in the offseason to help their chances of, of winning a championship.
0: Yeah, I mean, they basically have just traded out um, OB for DiVincenzo. And that's really all they've done. Um, yeah. And they have, like, I agree with you. They've shown sort of a lack of creativity. Now, I do also agree with you, though, I'm not sure they should have given up the house for Dame. Uh, yeah. Holiday could have been interesting if they could have done it with the right combination of, of, of players. Because what, when I look at the Knicks and I look at sort of their training camp roster, it's pretty much, they stood pat. Um, yeah. And it's not, um, you know, they don't. And when Boston has moved forward, it looks like Milwaukee's moved forward. Philadelphia is sort of a mystery because it depends what they end up doing with Harden. And hopefully he doesn't come to the Knicks because that's a whole other set of issues. And the rest, you know, the other teams have made a lot of moves. And the Knicks, now, I don't expect them to sort of take a tumble. But I also don't see them really moving beyond sort of first round of the playoffs unless they do something.
1: Yeah, and I'll kind of make a little bit of a counter to even what I said and some of your points as well. The, the one thing that could be in the Knicks' favor is the, the chemistry with this team. And that's a very underrated aspect of the NBA is that, yes, you need to make splashes to kind of move up in the hierarchy of things. But weirdly enough, I think the Knicks have a very good sense of team chemistry now. And that may be to their advantage because especially in the playoffs, especially as you go wind down the season, you're, the Celtics have a lot of new guys, even the the Bucs, even with their pairings, it's going to be a lot of new guys coming off the bench. The Knicks have a very solid core that really knows how to play together. So, yes, they didn't improve the talent of the team, but they have a good unit together, Yeah, uh, and I, look, and could I be think fair. There's,
0: I think they're still a playoff team, don't get me wrong, and they could probably go you know, into the conference finals. I'm just like, to your point, though, I think that they're close, and they didn't do anything – you know, that puts them over the top. Now they also didn't do anything that sets them back, which is, you know, which they've done in the past and all kinds of horrible signings. So
1: um,
0: it's going to be interesting to see, but it's going to be more interesting to see if they make a move on someone, not so much in before the season. I don't think they're going to do that, but during the season, like that's exactly, that's
1: exactly what I was going to say. I think the Knicks have to see how their season's going And if there was like a true deficiency, like let's say even they're winning games, but it's like kind of like up and down, they're in the mix. I think you have to make a move for someone because I mean, supposedly Zion, you know, Zion Williamson's been mentioned. Some other guys have been mentioned, but they're going to have to see how things go during the season and, and kind of strike then if things aren't going ideal for them.
0: Yeah. Or if there's an opportunity to move things significantly forward because some other situation develops. So yeah, I don't like to your point. I don't think it's going to be before the season, though. I think it's going to be an in-season move. And they did, look, they have the the draft capital. They still have like expiring contracts like Fournier. So there's a lot of things they could do. And it's going to be interesting to see, like to, to your point, how they start off, where they go, what they do. So uh, we're keeping our eye on the Mets. We're keeping our on the Knicks. And today, we watched some college football, and uh, the, the the game we were focused on in the early window was the Ohio State-Maryland game, which at halftime was tied, and by the end, Ohio State took a dominant position. Matt, tell us about your thoughts on the Ohio State today.
1: Yeah, so it was, an, it was a very interesting game. Ohio State sleptwalk through the first half. There wasn't really a lot of continuity on offense. The defense, I got to say, though, the safeties have really looked good, namely Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor. Who are kind of late bloomers in the cycle of college football, especially Josh Proctor was a guy who's been here for a while. Uh, so the safety play I thought was very good, Sonny Styles. But, yeah, OSU slept walk through the first half. Second half comes around. It really was all about Ohio State. Just some great plays all around by the defense. The offense found its rhythm. Marvin Harrison Jr. looks like a generational receiver. Uh, the run game was terrible. They averaged like 1.6 yards a carry, so that was pretty terrible. The boundary runs aren't really working. Um, and Ryan Day ultimately needs to kind of figure that out and maybe hand off the play calling to someone else because it's it's not clearly working. So, OSU game, I thought it was a good win. Maryland is a very, I think, a much better team than yes. the ranking indicates. They're not even ranked, but should be. Um, but yeah, it was, I think OSU slept, walk through the first half, but a great second half. Yeah,
0: so I'll give you a few, few thoughts. Um, uh, first of all, Ohio State had sort of the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot in college football. They had that great win against Notre Dame, which was unbelievable. And then they had a bye week. So the bye week sort of set them back, I think, a little bit. So they came out very sluggish in the first half. Maryland is the fourth best team in the Big Ten behind, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. And then Maryland's right there. And so this was probably the second hardest game, definitely the second hardest game, Ohio state's played to date Um, first half terrible uh, not even good coaching I don't understand and this was what the Jets made this adjustment so if you want to draw a parallel with the Mets and the the Jets and and Ohio state is they the Jets got rid of the first down handoff two-yard run thing Um, Ohio state didn't get rid of that but in the second half they at least tried to get rid of it and Uh, said you know we're not going to establish the running game like that Marvin Harrison Jr. looks as you said as a generational talent who will a good chance be on the Giants next year with their very high draft pick they're going to have he he would be perfect for them because they have absolutely no receivers Um, the defense is coming of age I think and especially the safeties and it's going to be very very interesting in a few weeks when uh ohio state plays penn state and uh you know and then later on against michigan because the defense you've on tv today um is not letting up the big plays like they used to
1: yeah and they're getting a lot of takeaways which is very interesting yes and, and today the pass rush was much more active jt low out got us nice sack uh, Michael Hall Jr. a nice sack, and they in Proctor the interception. I think Denzel, but or no, Lathan Ransom had the other interception. So it's like they're they're starting to really figure this out. I think last year it was very much Ben not break. This year they're actually making plays to w- help the team win games, which I think was a big problem the last two years. Is that they were kind of just playing not to make mistakes, and I think this year they're starting to make plays that ultimately helps them, helps their efforts. That's
0: right. And I think Josh Proctor's interception saved the first half of them and saved the game from getting away. And then, uh, you know, good coaching today too. I think in the second half, they made some really good adjustments at at halftime. So uh, really good. Matt other college football, the Oklahoma, Texas, what a game that was, huh? What
1: a game. Red River always never fails to uh, disappoint me. And it was back and forth. Oklahoma took the victory this year, 34, 30, Uh, You know, some really like I kind of was watching both games during I was watching the Ohio State game and watching the Red River showdown, but it was Quinn Ewers didn't look great. I mean, it was one of those barn burner days that I think like just threw some bad picks fumble, um, you know, but it was great back and forth action. I think Oklahoma's a team to watch this year. It'll be interesting in the Big 12 kind of the last year of the Big 12 all being together. So should be interesting going forward. But yeah. Tough for Texas. This is a game they definitely circled. Uh, people thought they were in the you know college football mix, playoff mix this year, but might might send them home for the for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that was a that was a tough tough loss for them. I, I saw the end of that game. And uh, any last thoughts on college football? Other things you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm someone you know follows it pretty pretty closely. Uh, the top teams of the Big Ten are great this year. The Pac-12 is having some great, great teams. Um, the SEC is kind of having a down year. I think that they're not as good as they've been. I think Georgia is a little shaky. I think the rest of the teams aren't as great. Uh, and, you know, the the in the ACC, I think ultimately Florida State really stands out as um, the top dog in the ACC, great quarterback in Jordan Travis. So if there's a lot of fun teams this year, and that's why I think the playoffs going to be exciting, but uh, yeah, the right now there's no clear favorite in my head in the in the college yeah, football season. Yeah, definitely
0: the AC the uh, SEC teams are, are you know had a lot of Georgia had a lot of turnover, especially last year, in, in Alabama, and they're not sort of at the same level, so it opens it up, and it'll be a very exciting end of season. I, I it's great uh, you know for Ohio State, which we have a bias. There's um, they're a very battle tested team that I think will do well. Uh, but they, but you, like you said, the top of the Big Ten may be the best, three of the best teams in the, in the country.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I think all three teams are really good this year. I think, you know, like I said, Michigan, obviously a rival school. I went to OSU, but Michigan's great. They got a good defense. Their offense right. is of similar guys from last year. Penn State's got a great quarterback in Drew Aller. Their defense is a lot of battle tested veterans. Um, and Ohio State's got a lot. So these are this is fun because there's three very good teams yeah. this year in the Big Ten. I think
0: the concern for Michigan is they play no one until the last yeah. three weeks of the season when they play Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. So while Penn State and Ohio State, I believe, play in two weeks, um, and Ohio State's already played Notre Dame, and Penn State's had a few tougher games, oh, Michigan doesn't play anyone hard in the Big Ten West. You know, like where Penn State and and Ohio State, I think, have to both play Wisconsin, who's not great, but, you know, better. So, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see how we end up here. So uh, pretty full episode here. Jets, Mets, Knicks, Ohio State College. Uh, The big the big thing is tomorrow afternoon, Sunday afternoon, late in the afternoon, Jets, Denver. We need that win badly. Any final words, Matt?
1: No, nah, I think there's a lot of exciting sporting events on this weekend. The NFL, there's been some some great matchups. College football there's been a lot of exciting yes. matchups this year so. And if yeah, you and
0: if you yeah. uh, if you're football real football you can a big football fan, you have a, a, a Bills Jaguars in London tomorrow at 9:30 9, Eastern time in the morning. Then you have I think in New York they're showing Giants Dolphins, but there's also Vikings Chiefs then the Jet game at 425, and then the Dallas-San Francisco game on Sunday Night Football. So uh, our day is set for tomorrow. So uh, it should be pretty good. And we'll keep an eye on all this stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we love the feedback, so keep it coming. Even the people who text me, I like that. And, uh, Matt, any last words?
1: Nog, thanks for the great listeners, and keep the, keep the
0: great feedback coming. All right. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye.